to place that label on them? What was it about their behavior, their beliefs, their actions in the world that set them apart? What were the marks of these first Christians? And does that have anything to say to us? Should we be guilty of the same accusation that we could be called Christians? And if I was accused of that, is there enough evidence to convict me? That's the real question, right? Of being a Christian, I should say. Yeah. Sorry. This, yeah, we'll just keep going. So, Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 19 through 30. And we've been moving through several chapters in the book of Acts. Um, we, we, you may feel like we skipped chapter 10 and part of chapter 11, but let me just, uh, were you in 10 last week? So, so the first half of this chapter 11 is, so you, uh, hopefully they don't feel like we skipped chapter 10. That was not in, that was not aimed at you, Rusty. That was aimed at me. But anyway, the first half of chapter 11 is a reiteration of chapter 10. You, you covered that as well? Okay. Obviously, I've listened to the audio and paid rapt attention to every bit of it. So, okay. I'll just start reading. How about that? Okay. Acts 11, starting in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And he came and saw the grace of God. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So, what makes us different from the people around us who don't share uh, our faith, 
our convictions, our beliefs, our religion, if you will, what sets us apart? What are the marks of a Christian? We look at this passage and we notice quite clearly that there was a very obvious distinction between these people in Antioch who gathered in the name of Christ and the people around them. And so what clues do do these stories give us of these marks, these signs that we are of this family, that we are part of this group of followers of the way? And, And what importance do these things have in our lives? What difference does it make to me uh, at school or at work or at home or anywhere else? So as we ask this question, we want to sort of gather together the clues that are in this passage and look at them as we look at ourselves or maybe ask God to look at our own hearts and evaluate who we are and why we're here. So the first thing that jumps out at me in this in this whole section through the book of Acts actually, but in this passage as well, is this call to engage our faith, to be a people who open our the eyes of our souls to what God is doing, to begin to look at our lives through the lens of faith. And there's an obvious uh, component of this that uh, you know should be stated at the front end, I think, and that is that we are to turn the attention of our souls toward Jesus, toward the one who kind of brings us together, if you will. And so this beginning point of opening our our hearts, our souls, our minds, and focusing them on the person and work of Christ. We turn to Christ. There is There are several points in this passage where you see people doing this, entire groups of people placing their faith in Christ. They're accepting him as their savior, meaning they're acknowledging their sin and they're receiving his sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. They are trusting him as Lord. If you look at what Barnabas says to this young church in Antioch, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They're they're learning to put a new person in charge of their life. So instead of going through life on the basis of what I think is best, I am submitting myself, I suppose, to a higher standard, a higher authority of what's right. I'm saying whatever I think is now actually subject to what God says. That's part of the shift. That's We accept him as the savior. That's, I think, the easy part. Not for everyone. That can be a really difficult step to take if you're 
uh, anxious about that. Uh, if you've, you know, if, if faith has never been a part of your life, this can be really weird, right? And you, you might look at a group of people like us and go, <laughs> they're crazy. Like, why do they sing these songs? Why do they do these things? Why do they give their money? What is up with that? I don't understand. What, what's like, is, is the pastor drugging them? No, I just have some candy bars. That's all I got. You know, just today, today only. Um, so there are two aspects to that beginning point with Christ. The, the one of surrender, if you will, the initial surrender of accepting him as savior. And then there's the ongoing battle of surrender in yielding to him as the Lord over our lives. That for me is the tricky one. Like, so at this point in my life, whatever that is, um, the, the faith part, the initiation of that, eh, been there, done that. I don't have a certificate or anything, but you know, I was there. Um, I saw what God did. That part is a given. That ongoing surrender to his lordship, if you will, to his place of authority in my life, yeah, I'm not so good at that. I'd rather be in charge, quite frankly. I have learned over the years that when I do take charge and try to make things go the way I think they should go, they, I hit like these brick walls, metaphorically speaking, and uh, things don't always turn out great. You probably have seen something similar to that in your own life. We'll move on. But we, we begin the engagement of our faith by turning to Christ. Then there's this other component in these passages that involve the Holy Spirit. And frankly, it's, it's difficult for us to know what to do with some of these uh, passages. This one's not so bad. Uh, there's nothing like really uh, wild in here. Uh, there is one guy that receives a prompting from the Holy Spirit in the form of a prophecy that some, that's a, a famine is about to take place, and he, he tells that to the church. And you see another uh, quality of a Christian emerge from that. But for the most part, um, there's there's nothing. There's there's other parts of these passages where some really bizarre things happen. And we're not sure what to do with that. But we just sort of sum it up by saying that we are to follow the Spirit of God into the building of God's kingdom. This is where these people who are gathering in the name of Christ, initially, at the very beginning, they really don't know where this is going. Um, really, if you, if you look at this in terms of the odds, the odds that these odd people would literally change the course of human history, that this little band of people who had a common faith that was actually illegal... This was not okay. It was, their, their faith was not acceptable within Judaism. 
in which all the early Christians were emerging out of Judaism. They were all Jewish before they were Christians. And their faith was not okay with the Roman authorities. It was illegal to not recognize the divinity of Caesar. So you were breaking the law by professing Jesus as the one true God. These people were largely peasants. They were largely uneducated, not all of them. Uh, And yet, there is something going on that is causing this kingdom of God on earth to spread and grow and really ignite spiritually. And that, I would argue, is the work of the Holy Spirit within the hearts of these first followers. They don't really understand what's going on. It will be another 300 years before any Christian uh, or any consensus can be reached in Christianity as to what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all about. So these early Christians, they're not coming at this from a theological vantage point. They're not coming at it from an educated vantage point. They're coming at it experientially through the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives together, individually and together. And it's this following of the Spirit that builds the kingdom of God and begins to bless the people of God. And so we are to follow the Holy Spirit, his leading in our lives, which I understand is a bit ethereal and weird and difficult, if not impossible, on a human level. But we are called to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our own lives to the extent that God's kingdom is built and God's people are blessed. So if you want to know if it's the spirit that's stirring within you, that's moving, that's that's calling you to something, there's your litmus test. You just dip the little piece of the paper into the liquid, and if it turns blue, you're good. If it turns red, no go. Right? But the, the dip is this. Is it growing the kingdom of God? Is it blessing God's people. Those are the two tests, if you will. Um, This is what the Spirit always does. It, it, It establishes the Word of God. It grows the kingdom of God. It blesses the people of God. Those are the things that are consistent with the movement of the Spirit. And we see them borne out in this text. So, we're to engage our faith both in relation to Christ and to the Holy Spirit, and we are to exercise our faith. That is, to use it, or utilize it, or activate it, or put it into practice. And as you as you see this happening, um, so Antioch is, I didn't, do my research on this. Is modern-day Turkey or Syria? Anybody know? Who's my... Syria? Is that what you said? Okay, so modern-day Syria. They're really close to each other. They're really... They're right there. Just kidding. Whatever. They are. 
actually. Anyway. Um, so this is, this is probably several hundred kilometers away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not an easy place to be a Christian at this point. Um, they're looking for you. And they're not real happy that these Jewish people are uh, adding to the truth with this whole Jesus thing. And they're saying crazy things like Jesus is God. And this is freaking out the authorities in Jerusalem. And so they're making it really difficult to publicly be a Christian in Jerusalem. And so uh, we read the story, I think, of earlier in this series of Stephen being killed for expressing his faith in Christ. And then this persecution breaks out and people scatter. They have to. They have to get out of Jerusalem to stay alive. Uh, Saul is one of the Jewish authorities who's persecuting, who's prosecuting people for being Christian. He's knocked down on his way to Damascus and Christ appears to him, speaks to him, and he converts to Christianity. And then he goes back to Jerusalem and finds that he's not welcome there. They try to kill him there. They try to kill him somewhere else. I can't remember right now. And then he goes home to a place called Tarsus. And so Saul is basically in his hometown, low profile, just hanging out, reading his Bible for roughly 10 years or so. And the church in Jerusalem struggling, barely holding it together, they hear that in the city of Antioch, there's a church that has formed. There's a gathering of people who are following Jesus. So they say, well, if there's a young church in the midst of a persecution, they need they need one guy. His name's Barnabas. Barnabas is actually Hebrew for son of encouragement. That's what his name means. He was well-named. His parents nailed that one. And it even says about him in this passage, he was a good man. He really would be a great encouragement to this young, struggling church. So Barnabas goes. He he follows. He's, he's activating his faith. He's, he's engaging this, this young community in Antioch. And he gets there, he, he sort of figures out what's going on, and he says, I need help. These people need something that I don't have. I can encourage them, that comes naturally to me. They need somebody who can ground them in God's word. And he calls Saul, who used to make a living killing Christians, right? Or killing followers of the way. And so, he brings Saul to Antioch, they set up shop, they begin teaching the word. They begin engaging and activating the faith of these followers. And for the very first time, they're accused of being Christians. They're called Christians in Antioch for the very first time. We are to be contagious in the, in the exercise of our faith. And you hear me say this periodically, but Christianity works best as a virus. Um, we don't we don't have great success teaching other people into the kingdom of God. They catch it. They catch something about 
the movement of the Spirit, the love of Christ, the power of the gospel, and they're drawn. And then there can be teaching. But first, we must be contagious. We must spread the word and then teach the word. These are sequential. They're, they're two things that must go together. That we spread the word of who Christ is, what he has done, what that means. And then when we gather in his name, we spend time in teaching his word to each other. And I assure you, I, I learn as much, if not more, from you than you do from me. And he's like, duh. That's my daughter, in case you didn't know. Um, so we're to be contagious and we're to be collaborative. This is what I love about this passage is Barnabas goes and he gets there and he is an encouragement to this young church and, and he doesn't try to do it all himself. He says, I know the perfect guy. I know this guy who is a total Old Testament nerd. He knows it forwards and backwards, actually mostly backwards because that's how you read Hebrew. I think Rusty covered that last week. Um, and uh, I didn't, I didn't hear it, Rusty, but somebody described your your display as looking at puzzle pieces. So I thought that was a good metaphor. Yes, um, <clears throat> we're to be collaborative. We're to in, to sort of be willing to involve others according to their giftedness. To to look at a situation and say, yeah, I'm probably not the right guy for this. But I know a guy. I know a woman who would be perfect for this particular calling. And to rely on each other, to lean into each other, to bring out the best in others and bring out the gifts in others. This is about everybody. It's not about me. So this call to engage our faith and to begin to exercise our faith is also a call to express our faith, to articulate what this means through action. So we are to be, I'm sorry, be, bear fruit in our faith, that what the way we engage our faith and live it out should bear fruit we should be helping others to see God's grace and we should be helping others to strengthen their faith. How do I say this? This is not always what comes natively to us. I think in America, in American Christianity, faith tends to be about me, about what what has Jesus, what can Jesus do for me? How can he change me? How can he grow me? How can he bless me? Unfortunately, is a major theme in American Christianity. It's not about me. You can write that down. It's consistent with every page in this book. This is about us. It's about this weird way that God calls disparate people together who have very little in common from the start and he calls us to be part of his family 
to learn to live together, as painful as that may be at times, to, well, help each other see God's grace and to help each other strengthen one another's faith. We are to be a blessing to one another. This is how we bear fruit, by taking what God has done within us and reflecting that to others. And so we express our faith by bearing fruit and we express our faith by being practical. I love the way this passage ends. So this guy does this weird thing like, hey, uh, there's going to be a famine. Uh, yeah, I don't know how he does it, right? Whatever. Um, I mean, I think that is what makes a Christian is you can take the word God and make it into a three-syllable word. Gawad. Right? That's, the, that's important, I think. Um, so this, this guy does this weird prophecy thing. And, uh, you know, if, if Keith busted out a prophecy, I would probably laugh at him. You got one for us? Tiffany's got one, I'm sure. Maybe three or four. Mostly for Keith, right? They they come with their own dose of judgment and wrath and love. Yeah, sorry. All right, I digress. But, I, I mean, this, if somebody did that here, now, it would freak most of us out. Am I wrong? Am I... Am I off track here? Am I, am I, is working? Would, you, would it freak you out? If somebody just stood up and said, there's going to be a famine. Did they that if they said it in that accent. But how could you not say it in that accent? I mean, if you're going to go weird, let's go, you know. You know, right? No? Shut up and move on? Okay. So... There's, there's, there's this very profound innocence with which the early church received this prophecy that I frankly would not carry into such an activity now. I would hope it was, it was stimulated by the Holy Spirit. I would, I would hope it was spoken consistently with God's word. It would still freak me out. Am I saying that I don't want God to, to speak that way? No, whatever. You do whatever you want to do. Uh, hopefully I'll either get out of the way or come along with you, right? But at the end of the day, the response is beautifully practical. They take up an offering and they happen to know that the biggest problem in the church in Jerusalem, remember, almost everybody has left. The people who are there are the people who cannot leave. They're poor. Many of them are widows. They're starving. And there's going to be a famine. And so they take up an offering and they send it to the poorest corner of the kingdom, to where the need is the deepest. And there's this profound practicality to the way people are responding to the movement of the Spirit. And we need to be such that when there is a practical need, we respond. That we're there for each other when it's needed. Um, this is a mark of a Christian. That we 
are compassionate and responsive, and we are generous as we are responsive. That we're paying attention and we're responding in ways that make a difference. And so, we want to be guilty as charged of being Christians. People who engage their faith in Christ and their their following of the Holy Spirit. People who exercise their faith in ways that are a blessing to others, that establish and grow God's kingdom. And people who exercise their faith in ways that are practical and helpful to others. That, that we are... <laughs> Siri doesn't like that. Siri thinks, let's see, hold on. Um, Siri, what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, I found this on the web for what does it mean to be a Christian. Oh, well, if it's on the internet, it must be true. All right. That's a total cop-out found this on the internet. Come on. Here's what it means. Look around you. It it means that we give ourselves to Christ. We listen to to the leading of his spirit. We are connected to each other. We're responsive. We're caring. We're compassionate. We're generous. We're there. And we seek to be a blessing to the people around us. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, uh, we thank you that you do tell us what it means to be a Christian. That, in fact, you set the very marks of following you on your very first gathering of people in your name. Lord, may we bear those marks on our own souls and on our own lives. May we live out our faith in such a way that you are glorified and the people around us are blessed. We pray that in this uh, insanity of this electoral season in which we are living, that you would help us to be places of peace in the lives of others. That we might reflect your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your presence, and your peace to those around us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.